BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of Greenrope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Festock, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Theater. Are you looking to make the next step in your career? Maybe you're ready to be an executive. Well, maybe you should work with a company who places executives in technology companies such as Amazon, OpenTable, Hulu, or eHarmony. Or how about Makers Studios at Disney? Just to name a few. You should visit HireClout.com. That's HireClout.com and tell them Chris sent you. Hey, I know how it is. Every company and executive deals with bringing their marketing and technology together in order to be able to build a better product that services your customers. Well, the best way to go about that is to insert Serendipity Interactive. Serendipity Interactive, we ensure that we help you build the future you're looking for by helping you find the fortunate discoveries of tomorrow today while you work on your present. If you want more information on how Serendipity Interactive can work with you, go to www.serendipityinteractive.com. That's serendipityinteractive.com. If you're looking for a new, fun, and interactive way to bring together your current executive team with your emerging leadership in order to truly build out that knowledge roadmap, well, the one-day High-Level Wisdom Workshop is for you. Feel free to send me an email, chris at highlevelwisdom.com, and set up your free 20-minute consultation in order to see how we can help your company continue to build and work at a high level. 
Now, let's listen to this week's episode. Today's show is going to be incredible. Thank you guys so much for listening. What I want to do today is help set the frame for the interview you're about to hear. Now, you're going to hear from somebody who not only has what companies are looking for by way of talent pool, but where they're trying to go and the needs that can be filled right now. So if you're looking for that next role into executive uh, roles, if you're looking for that next opportunity to really step up and become more than just an individual contributor, this interview is for you. So I want to kind of set the stage here for who I'm about to bring on. So this company has helped become a premier technology executive search firm for some of the largest companies we all know and love. I'm talking about companies like Amazon, OpenTable, Hulu, eHarmony, Maker Disney Studios. And I'm just going to stop there. I mean, this company is really um kind of the engine, if you will, behind a lot of some of the great technology teams that are building out the products and services that we all know and love around the world. The name of this company is called HireCloud, and the CEO is Avidas Antiplan. Now, let me explain a little bit about Avidas because what some of you all don't know is that Avidas' story is incredible. His background is incredible. More importantly, he really does have a heart for people. So what I want you to do is I want you to sit back, listen to my interview, episode 38 with Avidas, the CEO of HireCloud. Take a listen. Avidas, how are you today? Thank you. I'm doing great, Chris. Pleasure to, to chat with you today. Absolutely. So, uh, Avidas, here's what I like to normally do with any of our guests, because I want to make sure that our audience has some context to who they're listening to. Why don't you start? by just sharing with our audience a little bit about your background. Where did you start? You know, did you did you start in a corporate setting and decide to step out and, and help larger firms? Um, you know, just give people a little bit more about your background and how you became the CEO of such a company that uh, not only is is helping place really great talent, but you're also able to to see these companies grow by what you all are operating uh, at this level. I mean, I think the last time that we talked, you all are on pace to do over 10 million by the end of 2018. And so share with people what your company really does and why is it being so successful right now? I'd love to, Chris. I appreciate the uh, wonderful introduction. Um, I am the co-CEO of HireCloud. I have a, a wonderful partner, Jeff Mitchell, who who is a big part of what we do. So I want to make sure uh, uh, we made that in there. Um, the, the gist of what we do is we help companies grow and we help individuals from typically technology executives from software engineer up to CTO uh, enhance their careers, take their careers to the next level. Uh, some of those companies you mentioned, we've, some of them we've joined while they were already Fortune 500 companies, very successful. Some of them we've started with them when they were 8, 9, 10, 12 people. Right, so we work with Fortune 500 companies like Toyota, DirecTV, uh, Hulu, companies like that. We also work with a lot of medium-sized companies and, and startups nobody's ever heard of. Um, but you guys will absolutely hear of these companies. I mean, some of these companies have gone from startups to being acquired for 2.6 billion dollars to uh, going IPO. Um, and if you haven't already heard their story, you will in the next one to five years. So we're very, very proud to be part of that growth. Um, we definitely 
look at ourselves as more than a staffing firm, right? We are an executive search firm. We are a, a partner to these organizations, and, and we have their best interest in, in mind, right? So, and we're the perfect agent for both sides. So if you're an executive looking to move on, what we do is we help you find a career that's much better than the one that you have. And that ends up actually helping everybody, right? It helps the company that you leave, unfortunately, because they weren't unable to keep you happy, and it, it helps another company grow. So that's what we do. Um, so you want to hear my story, huh, Chris? Absolutely. I, I'm dying to hear it, and I'm sure our audience is dying to hear it as well. I appreciate that. So very interesting kind of, uh, you know, as a kid, my parents moved around every every one or two years they moved. So I was accustomed to a lot of change. Um, my first real position, real job, actually, I wouldn't even say out of college. While I was going to college was writing. So I was a cashier, clerk, stock person, whatever you want to call it. And while I was working, I figured, hey, instead of just treating this like a nothing job, let me learn some stuff. So kind of learned as much as I could. And next thing I know, I was 19 years old supervising, you know, I think 32 employees. Within another year, I was an assistant manager and manager of a $5 million a year store um, uh, in Southern California. So that was nice. Um, I moved on. I joined a company called LAUST, which is a, it's an, actually a school organization out here in Los Angeles, as a coach, uh, as an after-school program coach. Um, and I, I, you know, I grew into kind of a leader there, and I ended up leaving as a traveling program manager, where I managed a group of, of sports programs all over Los Angeles. That was an incredible, incredible position. I mean, to help kids learn sports and help them, you know, help them really become better people, better versions of themselves was probably the best job I've ever had, frankly. Um, but as I graduated college and realized, okay, I need to get into the business world because that's what I studied. I have two business degrees. Um, I realized, okay, I have, to, I have to go the corporate route, right? So I joined a company called Kaplan, uh, Kaplan Test Prep and Admissions, Kaplan University. Many people know it because they've used this organization to prepare for uh, their SATs or, or LSATs or whatever. Uh, joined as an assistant director, moved my way up to center director, center director two, um, moved on. By the time I left Kaplan, I was managing a small region in Southern California, and basically my job was to go into underperforming centers, help rebuild them, form kind of bottom dwellers to sometimes top three in the country. So I did that, really enjoyed it, grew. I had some tremendous uh, mentors and leaders. Um, you know, as the company kept trying to pivot uh, and do new things and try new things, and it just, I kind of got bored, right? Things were moving too quick, uh, too slowly, uh, too much red tape, too, many, too much layers of management, and I decided that I want to leave the corporate world. Um, even as a married, you know, man, you know, I, I kind of consulted my parents, and when I told them that I want to join a kind of a rebuild startup, they they thought I was crazy. You're going to give up your 401k and your stock options and your benefits and 42-person team to to go join what? Um, you know, I, I said, listen, I just don't want to do another another corporate gig. I want to do something different this time around. I said, okay, we trust you. I said, good. You should trust me. I know what I'm doing, although I didn't. <laughs> we all know what we're doing at that age, right? I was probably 26 years old, but I had to, I had to actually, maybe maybe a little older. I had to actually accomplish a lot for the five six years I was in the in the in the corporate world. Um, I joined a company called the Mitchell Group, 
Metro Group was a, a very successful company. Um, and then it was going through a rebuild, though, you know. And and one of the ladies that worked for me at one of my centers, a Kaplan, had recommended me to the CEO of the Mitchell Group. You know, he basically walked out of the the center and said, you know, Jessica, do you do you know anybody that can help me rebuild my business? And uh, she said, you know what, my boss is actually, I think, on his way out. He's mentally checked out, but you have to move quickly because he's already has offers. He called me. We spoke. I met kicked the tires around and I said, look, this feels like a great piece of real estate, but man, this, this house needs to be gutted, you know, and he, and he agreed, he laughed, he says, yeah, um, he says, I need somebody to build around. And so we agreed to work together. We had a, a 600 square foot sublet office in Woodland Hills, dusty, funky, crusty, but you know what, you know, I, I liked him uh, and I trusted that if I can rebuild this business, he can... He can kind of, you know, get out of the way and uh, and help uh, help us rebuild this company together. And and we did, you know, in 2008 recession recession hit, and so our whole model was, um, the whole model was, you know what, survive then thrive. So that that held us over in 2008 and 2009, 2010. We started rebuilding the business, and next thing you know, we're we're doing really well. Um, we felt really good about it. Things were moving along. In 2011 and 12, Jeff and I had some conversations about, hey, listen, you know, obviously I'm not gonna, you know, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, you know, expand. I gotta potentially move on and do my own thing. And he says, hey, listen, uh, this is not, this is not necessary. Um, guys, excuse me one second. I'm sorry, guys. My office is getting a little too, too loud. Okay. Um, so in 2012, we kind of decided together to start a company within the Mitchell Group, basically incubate our own startup, make it our own. And so together, we built a company called HireCloud. Um, basically, we went from zero to you know, $5 million in about maybe three years. Um, we, we took on some of the previous relationships, uh, expanded on that. And we, we just built a business. You know, the only thing that difference was it was a business built on scale. We were going to do it very differently. We were going to scale it. Uh, and secondly, we were going to do it with um, a different technology. We were going to build this thing as a technology company versus a, a recruiting firm, if that makes any sense. Um, had some bumps in the road. Um, had some, some kind of tricky scenarios. We hired some wrong people. Some of them millennials, some of them not millennials, some of them baby boomers, if we're talking about generations here. And about a year ago, we kind of rebuilt, and in a year, we've made tremendous strides, have built a tremendous team with great leaders, great up-and-coming uh, group of guys, and, and we are really excited about kind of what the future holds for us. Well, you have a very... Um interesting perspective. And I would also say you're in a very unique space because your company is on a growth curve right now. Um, <clears throat> I know that when, uh, when, when we've traded some information that you're looking to be able to go national, you know, by 2018. So there's a, there's a couple of questions that I have, and I think I want to kind of start back with your journey prior to even becoming the CEO of, uh, of, of higher cloud, uh, the, and, and the co-CEO there. I'm interested in your your process and your journey because I think it will really help our audience just to be able to get a different perspective. So help me understand how is 
was the CEO role something that you just always shot for in your career? Or was it just something that you felt was a natural fit because of your you know, personality? Um, what what was it about being the the CEO that was either attractive or just kind of the natural fit for you? It's a great question, Chris. Wow, you got some very deep questions. Um, you know, that's interesting. I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I think even as a kid, I always had the tendency to lead. Uh, and I did it in a very natural, organic way. You know what I mean? And I never really understood that. Um, I didn't understand that until people brought it up to me. As, and as I matured, I understood why I was leading even as a 13, 14-year-old. Um, yes, I mean, we all kind of business people aspire to be CEOs and COOs and CMOs, whatever you want to call it. For me, most importantly was to, to be the, the founder, right? It was to, to, to build a company that was scalable, that was sustainable, um, that honestly, when, when we get to a point where we truly feel successful, that everybody's winning, right? It's not a bunch of uh, owners at the top making all the money and a bunch of uh, you know, guys in an office with their doors closed, although that's what I have right now. And it's the exact, uh, and, uh, and you still heard all the crazy noise in our office. Um, but really get to a point where everybody here is winning, you know, and everybody's growing. And I mean everybody that's making it, everybody that cares and, and wants to be here and is doing all the right, the right steps. But that was more important than anything, right? And I wanted to handle our clients' demands. I mean, these guys kept saying, hey, you guys are amazing, but we need more volume. Hey, uh, I wish you guys could do more San Francisco business. Oh, man, you guys don't do national. Huh? You're only L.A. I wish you guys did this. I wish you did this. Oh, I wish you guys did more contracts, you know. And so I realized, well, you know, why can't we, right? So we, we you know, opened our San Francisco uh whatever you want to call it, business about a year ago, and it's been very successful thanks to a, a few guys that have done really well with that group. We are going to be opening an office in New York in October, uh, God willing, if that all works out, Ho hopefully in Austin, Texas, and sometime next year in Orange County. So, And that's strictly to be able to, to, to make the, you know, meet the demands of, of some of these great clients who have multiple offices. Toyota, for example, moved from Torrance to, to Dallas, and... Um, I wish we had done more to, to take care of them at the time. You know? so, so a lot of this scale comes very organically. It comes from the need to allow our guys to fly. One of the things that drove me crazy at Kaplan was it didn't matter how good I was doing, how good my centers were doing, how well my region was doing. None of that mattered. The company was not growing. The company was established, very, very successful. Kind of, if anything, they were dipping down a little bit. And so that's fine if you want to just cruise and you're – you know, kind of on the on the down end of your career or you're a beat player. But if you're hungry like I was, it just there, there was too much of a ceiling, you know. Um, there was too much of a ceiling for me and for my staff, and I realized, like, I don't want to be ever put in a position like that where I am the ceiling, that I'm creating a scenario where we say, oh, sorry, we're a small business. We, we don't need a director. Oh, wow. I'm so sorry. Wow. You're moving it. You're moving to Chicago. I mean, you know we don't have an office there. I wanted to, I mean, I wanted to communicate 
and, and rightfully so to my staff, look, we'll grow as far as you'll grow. And I mean that. You know, look, if you if you were a small business, if you want to be a VP, help us get to this this level. You yeah, know, you want to be a director this level. Hey, you want to move to San Diego? Kick butt. We'll open an office there. Doesn't mean we're going to do it for every B player, uh, and hopefully we don't have any of those. But for every A, a player, there's going to be tremendous growth opportunities, um, and that's that was more important than any title on a business card or or anything really. You know. Interesting. So, so this is so fascinating. We have a lot of places to go here in this interview. So, I'm I'm very curious to help our audience understand your your pers- your internal perspective on based on all of that based on 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 your drive the way you saw the company growing as as a organic growth with your clients why do you feel then from the time you were 15 16 into your 20s why do you think people were actually willing to follow you as a ceo Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'm hoping that they sense that what I just told you was real. Um, I think I've never I've never led from a position of authority, meaning, um, you know, I, I look, I'm your manager, I'm I'm your boss. You need to do what I say. More of of look, I'm going to lead by example, but also help them understand that that I'm going to be tough on you, right? I'm 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 not going to be easy. I'm not going to give you fake um, compliments. I'm not going to just give you raises and promotions and all this if you haven't earned it. Uh, and if you're struggling and you you ask me, I'm going to tell you, man, you're really struggling. I'm very disappointed. And so I think if you're just an just just a, a leader, right, and not a a leader that's been taught, um, someone that's just kind of I don't know about born leader because I also leader, you know. Learn, you know, do a lot of reading. I'm part of a Vistage executive group. Uh, yeah, I've had some great mentors in my career. So I don't know if I was a born leader, but if, if you just lead from an organic place and you truly care about their growth, not just your pockets, I think I think they just naturally will follow. You know, and not everybody will. I've had people that have not followed. I've had people that did not believe in the system. Uh, short term, they wanted short term gains, and after seven months, they were looking at me like, "Hey, listen, we didn't." I'm not succeeding. It's like, well, okay, I, I told you, um, you know, I, I, I told you it's going to take some time. So, so it took a lot of uh, a lot of iterations of, of of changes to make this work. You know absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's kind of dive into um, the perspective of being the CEO and either grooming or recruiting a younger set of talent. And I think this is important because uh, being an Xer that you are, you're you have uh, the drive. You have the you know, everybody is always called the Gen X folks, the sandwich generation, because it's sitting in between these two large, you know, uh, uh, age groups. Um, And you've had to hire baby boomers, as you mentioned earlier. Right. And you had to also hire millennials. Let's talk about let's just kind of start from from the top here. What is it about millennials that you actually see as an advantage when trying to um, build the next tier of leadership in a company? Wow. Um, So absolutely. First of all, not only have I hired 
for my clients of all generations, right? You got to think executives upwards of 70 years old, uh, down to brilliant software engineers at, at 24 years old, frankly. So absolutely. And funny enough, I'm I'm borderline millennial myself. So it's even weirder being able to, <laughs> to you know criticize generations because you I might criticize pieces of my ge own generation, right? Right. Right. Um, balance. Um, I would say the, the the great thing about millennials is they're comfortable sharing their opinion opinions. You know, they'll tell you what's not working or could be better. Doesn't mean they're always right. It just means they're they're very real. They'll tell you if something isn't working, why it's not working. Um, and they, I mean, if you can have cross generation teams that include millennials, oh, these guys could have such a strong positive impact because they're so damn innovative. Right, right. They just, I mean, they can make. They want to make an immediate impact, um, you know. But they need specific training. They need to know how that they can make an impact. They're also connected all the time, so they might not want to put in sixty hours at the office, you know, fifty hours at the office. And me being an old school kind of do whatever it takes, work as many hours as you need, entrepreneur. It was tough for me to understand. What do you mean you're barely putting in 40 hours? I didn't understand that. <laughs> and it's funny because, I, like I told you, I'm a borderline millennial myself, so it just didn't mesh with me that I, I don't get it. Look, when I was 25, 26, 27, now I'm just putting in nonstop work because I know what it takes, and frankly, it's fun. So trying to get them to be me was not working. So I realized, look, these folks are they're connected, so they don't have to be at the office you know, 10, 12 hours a day. They'll work eight hours a day, nine hours a day, and they'll stay connected. And if they know something's important, they're going to respond to an email at 7 a.m. in the morning. They're going to, you know, respond to an email at midnight right before they go to bed. They're going to, they're going to be at a bar at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and they're going to be talking to someone who happens to be a software engineer or a CTO and doing business when they're not even trying to do business. So I don't know if I answered your question, but... I think that's the impact that millennials can make on the workplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what kind of um, let's go to the other end of this. What kind of things do you see are some either gaps or opportunities that millennials have specifically when we're talking about not necessarily just entry level roles? I'm talking about the millennial who's 25 to 35, who's looking to push into leadership executive roles like the ones that you hire. What are some of the opportunities and some gaps that you would like to share with millennials that, you know, you feel from what you've seen across the spectrum of the, the, the types of uh, needs that your clients have that come to you on a day to day basis? What are some of those things that you want to share with our millennials about what they really should start to focus and hone in on that clients like yours are really looking for right now from a leadership perspective? It's a great, great question. Um, I think the, the what happens is you have you have two sides of the spectrum. You have two extremes, right? You go from you know people are working too many hours and they're burning themselves out to oh let's try to balance this out. Oh okay, no one's working now, right? Oh hey, listen, um, I don't need to be at the office 50 hours a week. I can do this from home. And then th th there's a gap there, right? So we ended up with with gaps that you see folks that are are not balanced. Uh, work life balance wise, then you'll get a techno technological gap. So you'll get millennials are outstanding with technology, right? So they, 
they, I mean, they can text their way, they can send emails, they can get stuff done very quickly through technology. But then baby boomers don't always check their emails every few minutes, right? Baby boomers might put 60 hours in the office, but then they're done. They don't right. want to be done. <laughs> right. I think right there, there's a tremendous gap, which uh, if you're smart, you can smell it, right? You can see the gap and, and the best way to grow for young up-and-coming executives is to bridge the gap, right? So if you are sending an email and you're not getting anywhere, get out of your desk, get out of your home, get in the car, walk over the, to the executive, say, I need 10 minutes of your time. You'll be shocked at how much you can get accomplished. You would be shocked. Um, that right there alone is bridging the gap, right? If you've got an office that everybody shuts down at 5 o'clock because you've got a, that kind of a work-life balance, that's wonderful. I mean, that's good, good for you, right? Put in a little extra time. Come in a little earlier. Leave a little later. Be more accessible to the, to the executives, to the sh stakeholders, so not so you can impress them or kiss their butt, right? That's not what this is about. It's so that you, could, you can learn something new, right? Usually those conversations don't happen during 9 to 5. Those, those big-time conversations that executives, owners, of companies that are sharing are, is, is at 6 o'clock over a pool game, over a drink. Um, in our office, we have a pool table, we have a, a bar, and, and if you're around at 6, 7 o'clock, even for 15, 20 minutes, you'd be surprised the stuff you can learn, right? We're not talking core business about, hey, is this candidate's offer you know, taken care of? Did you get that retainer signed? It's conversations about growth. It's about, hey, I noticed you guys were talking to a firm about being a – what's that all about? You know, hey, why did you approach this scenario with this individual this way? You can learn so much if you're slightly different than all the other people in your, in your generation, right? Absolutely. If you're a millennial, don't be, that, don't be exactly like you think you should be. Don't be what I would call the misconceptions, the misperceptions of millennials, right? Millennials are not – they are absolutely not lazy. They're not entitled. Um, you know, they can be seen that way. They could be that way if they've got the wrong mentality. But if you've got the right millennial, they're terrific. You just don't want to conform too much to your own generational weaknesses, right? Absolutely. You don't want to be that guy. So maybe you just do something different. Be a little bit different than everyone else. If you do 5% more than everyone else, eventually you're going to be 100% uh, ahead of them is the way I look at it. That's good. I like that. 5% more than somebody else, you'd be 100% ahead of everybody else. I like that. That's really good. So I want, I want to kind of shift just slightly, and I want your perspective on industries because your company is, as you mentioned in the beginning of our interview, is built on technology, not a you know, a higher firm. That's not what you're you were after. And you've been able to build to what you desired. But I'm interested from an industry perspective. Um, are there gaps in industries as you talk with your clients where you say, man, in this industry, if 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 an emerging leader could get this is an area where they could really excel, you know, this is what advice I would give them. What what industries are you seeing that you feel there's just this, there's either missing of a knowledge or base or just maybe even an awareness? Because some of the things that I'm learning from the, a lot of the CEOs that I talk to 
even just for this show, I am learning more and more uh, about industries where there are small little nuances that someone young could come in, learn the 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 infrastructure of that industry and really turn it on its head. And it's only just because people weren't aware that this area is may not necessarily be sexy on paper, but it's a really good area to be in going into the future. Talk a little bit about that from what you see. I'm happy to. Um, I mean, this one's kind of a given, but technology industry is booming for a reason, right? Right now, everything is being, uh, spoken from a scale perspective. Everything is, everyone's trying to automate as many tasks and responsibilities as possible. Uh, you hearing artificial intelligence and machine learning and uh, basically making machines do, think and do what humans can do. Uh, some of it is being done for good. Others are going to be done to replace wrong decisions. If you increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour, unfortunately McDonald's is now creating kiosks to eliminate the need for 60%, 70% of the, the, the employees, unfortunately, right? So you're going to see this constant emergence of technology in every single industry. But the way I'd like to answer this question is if there's any gap, it's one of two things. So if you're a, if you're a millennial, Right, and you're going into these. There's a lot of very good businesses, a lot of very strong, um, smaller businesses that are struggling to compete with technology companies. Right, so if they're, uh, you know, if they're a boutique um, restaurant or if they're a boutique, let's say a store, right, a retail store. If you, as a millennial, as a young, innovative, technology-driven uh, millennialist, don't go join another tech company. Go, don't join Google. You could do that at any point of your life, right? Go join a smaller company. Help them survive what's about to happen to the retail industry, right? Wow. Help this boutique, you know, retail store come up with a very strong e-commerce platform presence just to be able to maybe create, move from a 100% retail store to a, you know, 50-50 e-commerce and retail, right? So that's one thing I would recommend. If you're a baby boomer, you could do the opposite. Instead of joining the same old healthcare and finance and boring companies, uh, not that all of those companies are boring, by the way, um, why don't you join a startup company? Join a startup company, a technology company, a technology-driven company, but bridge the gap from the other end, right? You've got a tech company of, let's say, 30, 40 people, and you've got nothing but... 20 and 30 year olds, trust me, there's going to be a gap in communication. There's going to be a gap in, in uh, how do I say this? Uh, just, just the vibe of, of connecting with people on the real. Maybe you can teach these guys how to connect in person, how to do business a certain way. Hey, listen, don't send an email and wait. Make a phone call. Hey, go connect. Go meet that guy for a drink. Go talk to that guy over a lunch. Trust me, you'll get a lot more accomplished. Bring in, I guess, a human factor. So think about it. If you're a millennial and you understand tech, go bring a computer, machine learning, artificial intelligence, computer kind of mindset to a mom and pop. If you're a, a baby boomer and you're better at connecting the dots and connecting with people, help a computer-driven 
everything is automated, everything is email, everything is via Slack, text. Bring the human factor. Teach these guys how to do business the way you learned it. Learn how they understand, you know, they do business and merge the two and you have a tremendous opportunity to, to not only build a very successful business, but build a great career for yourself and become untouchable. Uh, and that's how people become truly, truly um, successful is because their value to one specific company uh, is so big that they can't do without you. You know, I really think together those two generations, multiple generations could, could, uh, can, can, you know, achieve unthinkable success. But there has to be there has to be some bridging of the gap. There has to be a true balance. Right now, you're going to see extremes with these two very different uh, generations. Very interesting perspective because I would have never put together uh, helping, <laughs> you know, in this day and age, the mom and pop with so many conglomerates and and melding of these large companies that seem to be getting larger, uh, i.e. the Amazon deal. <laughs> um, but I, I like your perspective because I, I one of the things that I think is very interesting about that is that to your point, and I love that you said that, help the struggling mom and pop survive this time because I think it is still something important to walk into a city um, and feel like it's still got the small time feel with a mom and pop that is technologically sound. I just think that's kind of cool. Um, even for, even from a nostalgic perspective, even the ones that aren't, I still think it's cool. But to your point, I think finding a way to add value as a millennial to a company that is not technologically sound is awesome. And on the other end, as a baby boomer doing the same thing, um, and humanizing and, and bringing that that sense of of human touch element it is an awesome asset on both ends. And so as you're talking about the qualities that both generations bring, what are maybe some misconceptions, you know, that you would like to speak to as a Gen Xer? Because here's the thing. There's plenty of rhetoric going around about, you know, millennials and boomers There there's a ton of it. You just type it in in Google and you could, you know, come up with hundreds of articles, but not many people talk about what the Gen Xer sees from their perspective and how, um, how Gen Xers are really navigating. I, you know, um, there's of course the, the older, uh, generation called the silent generation. Right. And I, Mm -hmm. I've kind of challenged that to say, no, actually to me, Gen Xers are actually more silent than anything else. And the reason why I say that is because they're busy working. They're busy getting it out here. They're not, <laughs> they're not caught up in all of the extremes. It's kind of like, you know, once you lay the tracks, everybody looks at the cute train, but they forget there's some wheels that are turning. <laughs> and that's how I kind of look at the Gen X. But what are some of those misconceptions that you think that are sitting out there about being a Gen Xer that you'd like to speak to? You know, you know, it's really funny. Is is if I were to if I were to classify myself as anything, I would probably be. I'm more likely to be a, a hybrid of of uh, generation. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, baby boomers and millennials. To be honest with you, I I, I don't think of myself as a Gen X. Um, but you know, some of the things you hear about this generation, and I have both uh, employees and and clients and candidates that are in this world, is that they're they're cynical, right? They don't believe in in anything, they're jaded. 
um, sarcastic, that's not always true, um, that they have no ideals, that they don't really care about anything, they only care about money, they only care about themselves, they're selfish, um, they're slackers, they're lazy. You know, funny thing is, every one of these generations have had the same thing being told about themselves. Right? Absolutely. I mean, everybody, you know, oh, baby boomers are a mess, they're going to be the end of us, they're this, they're that, now they're known to be this amazing but grumpy generation, right? <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> all these myths about Generation X, and, uh, you know, again, and remember, these aren't even, these aren't even real, right? So these aren't even, it's just based on what years you were born, and there's a lot of gray area between that as well. Uh, you're supposed to be a certain way, and it's not even true, right? Um, it, I feel like it's, it depends on what, where you grew up, the kind of folks you had, the parents, the experience you had with them, what country. You know, there's so many different factors that play into it. So I really don't play too much into, into generations and, and, and ages. It's more about the person and what drives them. What's their why, right? What made them do the things they did? You know, why do they jump around in their job? Why do they not trust their manager? Why do they, why were they, you know, stuck in their position and blaming everyone else? So I'm more about the person and not necessarily, um, you know, anything generational, to be honest with you. All right. Well, I know we have to stop and I know that's very terrible right now, given uh, the, the, the space and time in which Avidus is really digging into uh, the way he thinks, the way he builds his company and the way he moves. But I promise you, in just two days is normal. You will get to hear the second half of this interview with the CEO of Higher Cloud, Avidus. Now, let me tell you a couple of ways that you can participate with us and that we would love your engagement. First and foremost, if you are on social media, feel free. Send us a, a tweet, something on Instagram or on Facebook. You can find us at the handle High Level Wisdom. Uh, if not, and you love to be on websites and that's your primary way to be able to engage with us, that's all right too. Go to our website, www.highlevelwisdom.com. I would love to be able to hear what is standing out to you based on what Avidus is talking about this week. Now, in two days, you'll hear part two of our interview, and that is going to be a very fascinating and interesting piece because what he is sharing is deep diving even further on what he feels millennials bring to the table as far as becoming an executive. What does executive 2.0 look like? Where are we going and what are companies looking for now? I look forward to being able to see you in the next episode.